It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. What's up, Talk LP News fans? It's Amber Bradley here. Podcast time. Super excited to finally get Scott McBride into the Talk LP hot seat, Chief Global Asset Protection Officer and Chief Security Officer for American Eagle Outfitters. What is up? How you doing, Amber? Great to be here finally. I know it's finally really just been a scheduling problem. Yeah, right. You are not you I mean, you're not a like all eyes on me guy, which I can appreciate, right? No, I think you hate it actually. <laughs> well, I'm I'm very much in that vein, right? It takes one to know one, right? Yeah, right. Um, okay. So much to cover here because, you know, creating these questions and getting into your brain, I was like, this is going to be fun. So first, I just want to give, you know, you've been in American Eagle a little bit, a little bit of time, uh, what, 29 years now? I want to talk about your time there and how you have kind of your journey to your current position, right? I mean, we have lots of listeners that are both regionals, they're directors, they're store um, investigators. So a lot of people would love to be sitting in your seat as a chief security officer. And we'll get into the differences of that later. But I do want to talk about your growth at American Eagle and why you felt, you know, it was it was your path to stay. Sure. Thank you. I, I really tell the story that the job found the person. I actually started with American Eagle as a store sales associate, part-time sales associate in the 90s. And I had uh, I had a, a life change event that I found myself with time on my hands and I decided to go to the mall and get a job. And I went to a couple of places, filled out some applications. I won't say who did not hire me, but uh, I, got hired at, I got hired at American Eagle Outfitters. And, you know, I loved the brand back then uh, as an outfitter when we we sold canoes and pocket knives and lanterns and stoves and things of that nature. We sold branded product then. It was um, Patagonia Woolrich Columbia type product that was all third party um, in the early 90s and, and 80s when we started. So I loved the brand. I was that kind of guy. I was a you know outdoor enthusiast uh, growing up. And so I decided I yeah, probably want to work here. And I got the job and I started working on the sales floor. And the company started to grow. The company went public a few years later. So that created an explosion of, we had to get things right. We were a privately held company, didn't have a lot of the policies and procedures, didn't have a lot of things, but I moved up. So I went from that part-time job to an assistant manager job, learned how to run the store, became a store manager. And then in uh, late 1995, um, we got a new CEO and that new CEO realized that we didn't have all the mechanisms that we needed to have. We didn't have LP. We didn't have loss prevention. We didn't have asset protection at the time. We had a little bit of shrink in the company. We weren't necessarily accounting for it totally accurately or kind of under accruing. It's causing some problems. So he brought in someone that he had worked with for 30 years from Woolworth. Um, his name was Art LaBerge. And some of the listeners will remember Art, um, whether they're on the vendor side or the AP side. Um, Art was with th Woolworth for 34 years, had come up through Woolworth store management training program and became a, you know, district manager, regional director for them. And then ultimately got into loss prevention and 
really started our program in the 90s. But the difference between a Woolworth store and an American Eagle specialty apparel store was so great that he and the CEO decided that they weren't going to bring over some of the old guys from the general merchandise side to run asset protection in, in AE. They were going to promote from within, and they were going to find store managers that knew how to run the stores that could had shown that they could control loss and shrink at the time without policies and procedures, just common sense almost. And I was one of them. I was lucky enough to be put forward by my regional director at the time, sales director, my district manager. And they came to me and said, Hey, there's this, you know, we, you know, we got a new CEO and we're starting this new program. It's called loss prevention. We think you'd be really good at it. You know, you had military experience. You're a little older than the average store manager at the time, which I was 29, I think so, <laughs> uh, or 28. And they said, you'd be really good at it. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never heard of this. I don't even know that it existed. But if you think I'll do a good job, I'll do it. I'll go, I'll go do a good job um, for you, and I'll you know represent. And my really only main concern was was it out of the store because in the specialty environment, kind of the euphemism is it's the box, right? You're in the box. There's no windows. <laughs> There's only the front door and the back door. Maybe you get to see the sun when the shipment comes in, but that was it for every day and rinse and repeat next day, next day, next day. So being multi-store, being out of the singular box and into multi-store uh, management really but in asset protection was a great thing. And I was excited to do that. So moved, to, moved from Ohio to Chicago. Uh, the job was in Chicago that they were offering me and started running a region um, as an asset protection. We called them regional auditors back in the 90s. We've since kind of dropped that terminology. And from there, just did work. And it, it was very Wild West at the beginning. We had cases every week. Weird things would happen. Wherever you planned to go, you weren't going. You were changing your flight or changing your map quest search to find another place to drive to the next day. So it went really, you know, we were very successful at the time. We dropped the shrink. We improved the metrics. We increased safety. We did all of the things that all of my um, peers on the call and people in the industry know to do. Um, but it was a process because it was so um, rudimentary at the time that we had to build on it and build on it and build on it. Um, increase accountability, increase integrity in the staff and the way we communicated, the way they were expected to operate and so forth. So that went really, really well. And I did that for several years until I had an opportunity to get promoted to what we called at the time the assistant director. So really the, the A chief, the second in command of the department. And that required me to move to Pittsburgh because that's where the home office is. And I did that. And, you know, I had a little bit of a division responsibility. Yes, leadership in that second seat role, but I had EBR and some other aspects that we were just getting into in the you know late 1999, early 2000s as a company, even though they existed in other larger boxes and larger companies. And so we we had this uh, you know paired up. I think people called us Batman and Robin at the company, kind of as their euphemism, but. Uh, we ran things and we, you know, we increased our, 
our presence in distribution centers and increased our OSHA safety uh, footprint on how we were protecting the business and protecting the employees from getting injured and really built out other programs around that original stores audit store training program, store investigation program that we started, you know, five or six years earlier. And I did that for seven more years under him as a, a page almost to the, you know, the guy that had been doing it for decades, learning everything I could, um, meeting contacts and vendors and getting my Rolodex in order, if you will, over those years. And then he retired. And they came to me and said, you know, our only concern with giving you the job is we don't want you to be him because he was tough. He was old school. <laughs> he, was, he was, you know, those that, again, the listeners that know him, no, he was, he was an old school asset protection guy from the sixties to the nineties. Right. So it is a different um, age. Even in 2000, it was a different age in retail. It was a different um, way of doing work. It was a different employee base. Specialty was certainly different than the general merchandise days of Woolworth, you know, in its heyday. And so they, and I, you know, had to write a white paper, actually. I had to write a, basically a white paper that I submitted to management of my vision of the department and how they would um how, what they could expect from me and how the approach and what I was looking to do and so then I get the job and since that time my the luck in this whole thing is it was with an organization that um was up and coming as far as the number of stores i think when i was in the store management ranks we had 175 locations maybe 200 at the most but then we got to 300 we got to 500 we got the 600 and things kept growing. So the department kept growing the um, need to protect the business kept growing. And we were able to um, navigate that through ups and downs and the cyclical nature of retail and build a department and gain the loyalty of many, many um, employees um, that came through uh, the LP department at the time and asset protection department to uh, really do the hard work. You know, the leadership is one thing, but the actual rubber meets the road with the team. And the, the team has done fantastic for me for almost 30 years now. And uh, it all stems from back then. I have people that are on staff with me that have been with me for over 20 of that, of that time. And it's, it's great to have them and it's great to have them still with us. And it's great to see them grow as well in an organization that can create a, a tremendous amount of consistency when you're in position or in a role or a function of a company that continues to grow with it, but, and, and stay with the same company. So we're, we're very grateful for that. So organization grew, became a director, became a senior director, became a vice president. And then, and during the pandemic, um, with some of the work that we were doing, um, I kind of told them that I wanted something and that was what I got. So I said, uh, I, I wanted a new title and one of the things that come with it. And uh, it's it's allowed us to expand the organization, my own uh, purview into the organization, even more so than the normal asset protection department would have 
because it, it gets into risk. It gets into a lot of other areas and we can talk more about that. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, for you being there so long um, and the story of how it evolved, right? Because you were able to create, right? I mean, it's not, so when you were the young store manager, it's not like you totally knew what you were doing, which I think maybe too many folks sit in their role waiting, right? For that, well, I don't know everything about this next role. So I'm not, maybe I'm not going to be successful, but I mean- you know, I think in your background too, um, especially sergeant in the Marines, that's a Correct. pretty hardcore accomplishment. <laughs> Thank you. You, know, you don't always know what you're doing in that next level, which you talk about mentorship and expanded growth. Like what, going back to like leadership principles or things that you've kind of lived by, I'm sure the Marines have shaped that for you, but also, you know, there it probably wasn't all roses, over the last 29 years. I mean, clearly you're, you're time sometimes. conflict. You're Very growing tough. into the role. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit about that. Like how you, well, I would, I would go back. Thanks Amber. I would go back to uh, some very basic principles that I did learn in the Marines and the, you know, for those of the listenership that are, um, that were in the military or veterans um, or even currently serving if they're uh, in the reserves, um, you understand the process because of the nature of war that you have to know the jobs above you and below you because you, you you could be in a place where the person that was supposed to do that is not there anymore. Oh. And it's 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 dramatic in when we talk about it today in the civilian world because that's not how we have to think and operate. But if you use the principle of that to think about being able to do the next two jobs above you if you had to in an emergency today, right now, to make sure that the rest of the people around you were protected, safe, you know, able to accomplish the mission, then it's a pretty big motivator to get your nose in the books, um, listen to webinars, listen to listen to podcasts, uh, read up, um, find find ways to find the information, talk to your peers, network ask questions, learn and be a constant learner, um, be very astute to all, all things around you, literally. I mean, one thing that I've done over my years is just be observant, go on vacation, but be observant. If you go to a major theme park somewhere and you notice, hey, what kind of metal detection are they using? What's the brand on that? Why did they switch from one style to a different style? Um, you know, how do they control the crowd? Why are all these bollards showing up at these certain critical junctures along the roads or whatever? Is, do they know something I don't know? Well, probably. But what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my organization? What does that mean for my distribution center, my corporate office? Should I be looking at technologies like that? And I mean, I'm using technology, the very loose term of, concrete bollards to keep cars from driving into your lobby. That's, you know, yeah, that's the technology, but, but being a student of that and noticing it and making a, making a mental note, writing it down to come back after your vacation with your family and doing some research and maybe asking some questions of other peers of yours and other, you know, brands that have a similar footprint, if you will, and learning from it and, 
filing it away. I mean, and it may not come up for five years, but if it does, you're going to look like the genius in the room when you say, I think we should put bollards in because I think we should add metal detection to our distribution centers because, and we should use this model. And this is why I think it's important, but I also, you also see why another company that doesn't sell merchandise in a distribution center, but has people walking in and out of their park every day, they do it because of this. And if you can operationalize it and you can ROI it and make sense of it, then you're going to get sign off from the executive team to move forward with your, with your idea and your project. And because you're coming from the, the place that we all come from, you know, um, it's going to give that, give your organization an advantage, whether that's an advantage to the employees that work in that facility as being safer, more focused on their work, less worried about they're going to get hurt, um, or it's going to give your guests or customers better service at the store, or you're going to lower your shrink or loss, your truck cargo thefts are going to go down, whatever that, whatever the purpose of it was, I think is really important. So constantly doing that. Also being willing to, to never use an idea because it may not ever come up. And I, there's a timing to almost every idea. And this is kind of something I really learned over my career here is you can have the best idea in the world, but if you're too early to the boardroom with it or to the executive suite with it, it's out. It's not happening. There's no money. Can't do it. Might not be the right month to ask. Might not be the right time of the week to ask. Right. So you may have to go back and be creative and figure out a way to, to self-fund it or to figure it out. Um, but there's, there's always a timing. So stacking those ideas in a notebook, in a blog of your own, in, in your laptop somewhere where you can pull them out almost at will when the timing starts to be right or the problem grows to the size that your solution will fix. So as an example, we added um, metal detection to our distribution centers in 2015, inbound. So we started doing inbound bag checks and magnetometers because we had a problem. Now, we, did we always want to do this? Well, we were always concerned that nefarious weapons or items were coming into the DC. We were always doing outbound bag checks because, of course, it's a very long tenured loss prevention practice to do the bag checks on the way out for theft. Um, but we started getting bomb threats. And we didn't really have a great procedure because what do you do in a bomb? You run, right? You go yeah. somewhere yeah. else where there isn't one. <laughs> um, so everybody left the building and then the building shut down. And now we're not doing production and we're not filling cartons for stores and we're not filling customer orders on the direct to consumer side. And okay, so we call the police and they, they, search, they come and they try to search the building, but they're like things of 1.2 million square feet. And it's multiple levels vertically too. So it is, it is a matrix really. And um, they did, they did what they could. And then we quickly realized that this is no solution. And um, we had a meeting with the team and the next morning said, we did all these great things. You're safe. And another one got called in that morning. So we had to like, because it was coming from inside, they wanted to go home. And so we were sending them home. So we looked at, well, what do other people do? Well, the high schools make them sit in the bleachers at the football stadium. They don't get to go home. They get to sit in the hot sun or the freezing cold, right? They're safe. They're not going to you know, be injured from it, but they're not comfortable. 
Yeah. Right. So they don't have any internal bomb threats necessarily at schools. Yeah. Um, we looked at a major theme park. What do they do? You've been there many times. Many of our listeners have been there. Never got kicked out. Never got sent home. Said, sorry, thanks for your money. No park today. Right. Um, they get no less than 12 a day. Just randos like calling in and saying something's wrong. So how do they do it? So we did some research and we figured it out and we have a practice and it caused us to know, to be, to be, to be confident that there was nothing in the building. We had to know what was coming in the building. So we had yeah. to screen, we had to put screening in. So that's just one example of, I used the right model with the right amount of data, which was my networking and my finding out information about other, other places. Um, not just what my direct competitor does or doesn't do. Cause there's so many oftentimes executives will say, well, what does X brand X do? Cause we're always worried about brand X cause brand X is our direct guy, but let's look at schools. Let's look, you know, if it applies, let's look at other industries that may have already solved this ahead of us, ahead of retail, ahead of retail distribution or whatever. So don't be hesitant to do that. Um, so back to my point is I have these ideas and I, and some of them are really good ideas, but it just never came up. It was never a good opportunity. The risk maybe wasn't great enough. The ROI wasn't there. And I had to just let it pass. And well, I like what you're saying because it's like, it's being a constant innovator without being asked to do it. So it's almost like you're ahead of the game when you are asked. I, I've tried to be, and I've. it's not always that way. I would love to say I always have a plan or a playbook or a sheet of paper with something on it. That's not always the case, but you have, if you, if you challenge yourself to do this process on a regular basis, you get very fast at it. You know who to call within three phone calls. You can have the data you need. Yeah. Um, you can probably get a proposal from a vendor pretty quickly because you've already talked to them at a show. Maybe you couldn't buy at the time. You couldn't enact, you know, engage with them in that moment, but you know who, and yeah. you have a network and you, you work that network within a couple of, you know, a couple of days, you're back in the office with whoever is your decision maker that you need to help you with it. And uh, you're, you're making something happen for the organization. So that happens on the ad hoc basis, but it has also happened where it didn't take us four months to stand something up because we had it ready. Yeah. We had, you know, um, and we had everybody certified to do a certain function, even though we didn't have that function in place only for the day that we would get the call to say, hey, don't you think we need? I'm like, yes, I can start tomorrow. We, they're like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, well, we we thought about this about two and a half years ago, and we already put all these people through training. We already they already have their certs. We already did this, that, and the other thing. That's so incredible. But so our listeners might be wondering. Drafted, if you'd like legal to take a look at that policy, we'll send it over right now. I need it back by two thirty this afternoon. And how did you have? How do you plan to have time for stuff like that? Right. I mean, I think a lot of people are like, "Look, that'd be great," but we're we're now strapped with all of these new things because of COVID. Like, how are we supposed to have time to do that type of? Because that's intense planning, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it's um, it takes time. I mean, it, it definitely you have to focus on it. It's not going to happen automatically. You have to um find some white space or um, task, you know, members of your team that are skilled in certain aspects of building out these types of contingencies to have them ready. And, and I think it is basically a contingency planning mindset that brings together the um, elements of a mini program or a, 
or a project that you want to do, even if you don't have approval to do the project, no one's ever come to me in my, any career that I've been in and said, Hey, you don't have time to plan, right? You don't have time to work on stuff that's not today, right? Yeah. My job was never this, this much. I had to move this lever every 30 seconds or the whole factory was going to shut down, right? Yeah. My job has always been as a leader, whether it was at the regional level or in the store, even to some degree, you know, it grew as the role grew, but store, regional, um, multi uh, direct report field, you know, leadership to running a whole pyramid has always been be ready, be ready for something because whatever we have today, we're not going to have tomorrow. It's going to be different. Every day is different. The, the world changes. Moore's laws changing technology so quickly. Um, I mean, I tell people the world's not getting any safer. Unfortunately, for all these thousands of years we've lived on this rock, we've always figured out ways to go at each other, all right? Whoever that is, whether it's criminal activity or terrorist activity, or as you see in Europe, geopolitical activity that basically puts people in harm's way all the time. So as as retail loss prevention, asset protection, security professionals, whether you're on the vendor side or you're on the, the retail side, the commercial side, it's planning. It's being ready for whatever might be next. And that might even be, you don't even know what is exactly next, but you know these things are starting to exist and you need to be educated. You need to walk the floor at the shows, all of them, not because you got to know what people are inventing, whether you can use it that day Probably not. You know, you might have a you might have a handful of things you're looking for at a show, but tomorrow, next week, two years from now, you might need to know about that technology to be able to speak intelligently in a in a meeting setting to at least say, hey, I think we should look at this and bring it to the bring it bring them in and have them do a demo. Okay. So in that same vein of the planning, right? I mean, it, sitting in a chief security officer role, I'm curious, you know, for the listeners, um, what in your seat today, like what are the things, I know you probably can't get super specific, but like what should everyone be thinking about? You know, like planning wise, what's coming over the hill, right? Yeah. Well, one of the aspects of... Um, sitting where I sit now with the organization and, and working my way into this um, set of responsibilities was um, it opens up doors to have that um, purview to do that visionary look forward for not just AP. I'm now able to do it for any element of the organization. Matter of fact, in 2018, um, which brings us to, you know, here, we, we took over the business continuity piece. So now we have 189 direct functional business partners within the organization and teams underneath the, those leaders that are responsible to plan contingencies for loss of people, loss of facility, loss of technology, loss of electrical power, and other, other loss concerns or multiples at the same time of the same thing. Right. So we definitely had those happen to us in the pandemic. So we were, you know, using the loss of facility because the stores were closed. We were using the loss of people because people were scared to come to work. 
or we furloughed them and they couldn't come back. Um, and we had to function the organization in that type of thing. So um, one of the biggest things that I'm able to devote time and effort to, whether it's me personally or I'm building teams to focus on this, is um, is risk intelligence, risk intelligence gathering, risk intelligence analysis, and, and what I call contextualizing it for the my my company. AEO Inc. Um, footprint. What does it mean to us? And looking over the horizon, you see activity, you see lights flickering and you hear noise and determining best you can through sources. And these are a little bit different sources than my industry partners, but through, um, you know, declassified open source or government agencies that are able to read you in at certain times to get intelligence information about what's going on over the horizon. Is that a tank that's rolling over the hill at you? Or is it a tractor pulling a hay wagon? Kind of sounds the same in the middle of the night in the dark when you can't see it. It's got lights and a big engine and it's rumbling. But what is it? How fast is it moving? Um, so it's there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of military references in my determination of this, but it's really, that's what I've been leaning on is that type of training. And, and I wasn't even really trained in that back in the old days. It's just, I knew of it as a way a military operation operates and works military units. So I've leaned into people that know more about it than me and asked them to teach me and looked up things and researched and, you know, gain knowledge, even after 30 years, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to challenge myself to learn more, but using those same principles to try to figure that out. So we've, you know, we've experienced things in the last three years um, that no other, you know, your forefathers of loss prevention didn't have to experience them exactly. Um, but, you know, we learned things from the pandemic response. We learned things from how political elections are now starting to cause issues uh, more so than they even did in the past from a public sentiment and a safety and civil unrest perspective. Um, and so when you really look at what's happening, you can make some pretty big, you know, calendar entries on your future, right? You're looking at a um, election, which probably my own opinion is they will all be contested for the next few years just because people want to contest things. Our customers want to contest that we're there to sell them product. They want to be upset and they want to be angry a lot. Um, so there's there's a there's a bit of angst in the world right now, and so that's not going to go away. And that could manifest in 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 many different ways. Um, I don't think it'll manifest the way it did in January sixth. You know, back in the day, because that's. Um, pretty bad. And we can't really let that ever happen again. So there's going to be a lot of safeguards put in place to not allow something like that to happen. But you have that, you have the thing, you have the European conflict that's going on right now with Russia and Ukraine um, that leads you to other major milestones in the universe of who else out there wants to try to do the same thing. Well, there's some very obvious answers right there on the surface. So then dig in, find out what that means. To your and then in 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 your perspective too, what I'm hearing has made you so successful there is that you not only are planning, but creating an action an action for that what if 
but then most importantly, contextualizing it to your organization. Because Correct. if you have a, well, what if this happened? And you got a bunch of executives go, so? And you don't have an answer, then what? Yeah. So as an example, you know, let's, um, I don't want to give away the secret sauce here, but <laughs> you, look at, you look at China, Taiwan. Okay. Who's likely next to want to annex a, another country? That's very obvious. It's in the news. It's yeah. open source. Everybody should be aware of that. Well, what does that mean for you? Do you manufacture in Taiwan? I mean, the auto industry, it'll, it'll kill them. That, that most of the chips for the cars have come out of there and they're already having trouble getting chips. Right. So, you know, um, so where are the chips going to come from? Right. Yeah. We're standing up factories, or, but are they going to be ready in time? Are they going to be fast enough? Is there going to be enough inventory? Who gets first dibs on those chips? How expensive are the chips? Do you really want to pay double for the car? Cause the chip costs as much as the car now. Right. You know, so those that for that industry, they got to be looking at things like where are the chips coming from? Um, from a retail perspective, do you make product in Taiwan? Do you have stores in Taiwan? Do you sell online in Taiwan? Do you have digital sales um, or mainland China, right? Are your goods manufactured in China? Will China shut down export to so US? Let's, let's take this example just a little further really quickly because I know we're running out of time. But so in your structure of how you go to business like so you would say in this example of china taiwan you would basically kind of create a list of all these what ifs and and how it could impact american eagle and then do an action plan accordingly contingencies right so good better best call it what you want right levels of contingency underneath the problem that doesn't really exist today it's we just have a inkling that it's going to happen or could happen. But if it does happen, what do you do? What do you do first? And if that doesn't work, what do you do second? And if that's not working, what do you do third? And having a primary, secondary, tertiary approach to your actions so that you're not just one and done or shot, you know, you're done. You can't go anywhere else. You didn't think past that first move. So it is about playing chess to some degree. And thinking a couple moves ahead to try to stay in, in so ahead of it. That looks like getting, it sounds like to me, and it seems, seems like it would be pretty fun. Like, not, not, uh, versus the, you know, catastrophic incident that you're brainstorming. But, you know, um, getting a team in a room and talking about the what ifs, like, you know, whiteboarding it out kind of mm -hmm. thing. That's exactly what we do. And we're, and we're challenging. So we'll do it at the very highest level. Then we will bring the executive team together and have them do it. And we'll pull a couple more things onto the whiteboard from them. And then we will go out to the ecosystem of our organization and work through those 189 functional areas to, to dial back what will happen. And then when will, when will they have to happen? So it also helps us build a time and action calendar to some degree of what things have to get done today. The day we find out it happens, what things do you have to do that day? Because some things are on a longer, you know, lead time than others. And, and it, and you build it out and it's all on paper. It's didn't cost anything other than the meeting time and the thought time and the, maybe the educational time of reading up on it and studying it. So it's what we would call inherent cost to our organization, assuming we can balance the workload. And that's always the challenge of leadership is if I'm not doing this. I'm doing that. So I have to figure that out, but, um, 
and that can be, and this can be applied. I'm, I'm doing a very high level, very geopolitical global, you know, other than Martians landing in Kansas tomorrow, this is probably one of the bigger things that could happen to, to a company like us because we do manufacture in Asia a lot. And so, but, um, but, but you can do this down at the store level. You could do this at the regional level of, um, the, the geography that you own, whether it's Iowa and Illinois and Wisconsin, that's your territory. What could happen there? Well, you can do this for weather. You could do this for civil unrest. You can do this for anything, right? And this process works for any size disaster, just takes longer to build out the contingencies, takes more people involved in the larger ones. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get to best career advice, worst career advice, but I, I do, um, if you're sitting there listening to this podcast and you don't, you're still not curious, you're still curious how Scott McBride got to his level. You need to rewind because there's so many nuggets here innovating, but also the timing of when you, yeah, I think so many people go, that's a great idea. I'm going to tell everybody because I'm super proud of my own idea. And it's like, well, it's, it's better for strategically to be constantly innovating, planning it out, and then waiting for the appropriate time because your CEO doesn't want every single thing that pops in your head. Right. He's paying you to filter that. Yes. He's paying you I, to filter it, to give it to him when it's time. So you're going to take your ego say, out of so it no. that you Correct. had a great idea. <laughs> so you take your ego out and, and really for everybody's benefit, I mean, you have to play poker. Do not show your hand all the time. Don't walk around with all your ideas on your sleeve. Those are the those are the folks that you probably have known in your career or, or have you've experienced it because you accidentally did it, you know, and now you're like, well, they did that and that didn't get any credit. Yeah. And I don't care who quits the credit, but you want the credit because you're trying to advance your career. You're trying to get some recognition for the good idea, for starting, for lighting the fuse of a good idea. Even if the organ, even if it's somebody else's job to go do it ultimately and make it look great, and they get a they get a bonus for it for some reason, I don't know, but um, it's okay. But don't show your cards until their time. Use some skill of tact to socialize it to certain people to refine it. Um, yeah, get I'd it even, complete, like in a packet. Yeah, you get it complete, but you also get their input then too. So now you're actually starting a movement because yeah, you, you get some champions, a really good idea, and then you get your your inventory control uh, department on board with you on this good idea. And then you go and you get the store operations team on a good idea with you. Yeah. And then you can present it to the COs. Hey, we have a collaborative idea that we'd like to present to the organization. And we've already crossed all these T's and dotted these I's with three or four departments. And they'll be stoked to be part. How hard is that to get approved? Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. if you're, and you're in the right timing, you're not asking for big numbers on days where you're supposed to be cutting your budget. Cause that happens. So yeah. just don't do it on budget cut day, do it on, you know, best sales announcement to date and then go after Which means, something. which means to your point, you got to plan. Cause if all of that yeah. happens, cause you don't really know, you know, coming down the pike, you could forecast, but yep. you got to have a plan ready. Okay. Last two questions. Cause I love these, um, best career advice. Yeah. Okay. Best career advice, worst career advice. I do want to talk. We have to go quickly about the Iron Man thing because that's nuts. But okay, okay best best career advice. I was, I'm just going to do best because okay. well, I'll, I'll do best. Best was um, I have this piece of paper that's over 30 years old. And the best advice on it was 
successful people are, are people who find the time to get things done is the very first line of this little poem, if you will, or prose goes on to other aspects of like valuing people's time and looking for automation and um, refusing trivial tasks, right, along the way, working on what's important, recalibrating what's important. That's not a pun, um, but uh, periodically, whether that's weekly, monthly, quarterly, for yourself, for your department, for your direct reports, for your business, um, staying in tune with what's important and only working on those things that are important. That's probably the best advice. But by God, getting things done is probably the most important thing in today's business for asset protection uh, professionals. Yeah. Like Here instead of moving around your email all day, which mm -hmm. is easy to do. Right. Sure. Um, okay. So really quick on the personal side of Scott McBride, because you don't get, you got, you know, you're tough, you're Marine, right? You're not soft. Thank God. So Ironmans, you coach triathletes and have done several Ironmans yourself. Just remind the audience how big of a badass you are with what an Ironman is. All right. So and about 10 years ago, I started on a journey of fitness uh, with a friend of mine, neighbor, and we um, ultimately started doing Ironman competitions. It took a while, but we did Ironman competitions. So I've completed three full distance Ironman um, and, and Ironman consists of a 2.4 mile open water swim with 3000 of your closest friends trying to swim over top of you at the same time. Oh, God. Right? So a mass swim. Um, followed by a 112 mile bike uh, ride that you want to do as oh fast as you God. possibly can so that you can get off the bike and you can run a marathon. A marathon at the end. A so marathon the total at the end. mileage so is what? 140.6 miles. That's insane. Under your own power. And yeah. you have 17 hours to complete it, or you get considered did not finish DNF. Um, my fastest time was 13 hours and 42 minutes, I believe. Right. And it was my first one. And it was from a fear of failure that caused me to work so hard that I didn't want to, because I didn't know what I was about to get into. I mean, I knew what I was getting into, but physically had never done one. I was just prepared, 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 prepared because I wanted to not fail. Um, and I did not. And then I went back and did another and another and several halves in there, multiple marathons, a lot of training involved to get to that starting line to make that finish happen so and then That's now incredible. 10 years later i've gone and become a usat u.s triathlon association uh certified coach so now i coach people in endurance sports well i'd love to sign up but i don't i think i might be a lost cause Look, that's incredible. And I, and it really goes to the strength and, and of character and integrity and also the stick to right? You think about these elite athletes, like they, you go and you get it done, which is honestly an incredible theme for this um, podcast, because that's what, that's what you do. So we thank you for your service because Marines are like total badass. So <laughs> thank you so much for stepping into the Talk LP podcast, Hot Seat. We'll try to have you back because there's so much we didn't get to. It's kind of ridiculous. So, you know, hey, if you squeeze us in your, your calendar, we'd appreciate it. Thanks so much, Scott. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Amber. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us. 
on LinkedIn and download Talk LP News app. All right, guys. See you. Cast, cast, cast. No one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.